Thanks for listening to the weekly Overflow Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Jesse Cup. For more information, visit overflowindy.com or visit us on Facebook at Overflow Indy. Awesome. I'm going to dive in now. I'm excited about what I'm getting ready to speak on. Um, uh, this is one of those things. Have you, do you understand this if I say that um, there's a lot of great things that the Lord shows us and gives us, but, but sometimes there's, there's pearls of great price that God gives you that it's like you don't want to just flippantly share those things, but you, like you want to preserve them and honor them and love them and, and receive them and share them when it feels like God's saying now is when this is the right thing, okay? Um, the, there are times when, like, I don't, I don't want to just casually share those kind of things with people. What I'm getting ready to share with you today is one of those for me. And so I, I honestly hope that you will, um, <clears throat> that you'll understand, that you'll, that you'll deem the value on this to me, that, that this is a kingdom, I'm, I'm about to offer you a pearl of great price. Does that make sense? And so I, I want you to um, just ask Holy Spirit, like, how can I receive this to the maximum? Because I, I just think that, I don't want to say I think, I know that, that when there's revelation and we, and we actually allow that revelation to come into our spirit, that it, it, can, it has the capacity of being more than just um, theology or teaching, but it can become encounter and it can become transformational. Amen? The things I want to share with you today, like I, I want to share it with a faith and an expectancy and a high level hope that, that this will actually become manifested and it'll get deposited, it'll become manifested and that God will do something powerful with it. So I just want to invite you to um, position your hearts in a hungry kind of a way. I'm not asking you to give me like as a man like that kind of uh, like that time of attention, but what God has in this, it's for you, okay? Um, just the same way that the lady who, who, who she determined in her heart, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be healed. And like Jesus didn't even know that she was planning that, right? But she laid hold of something and virtue flowed and something happened. There's a huge deposit. There, there's just stuff in here that I think there's opportunity. I'll just say that. Okay, um, <clears throat> how many of you guys have a longing in your heart that, that, you, that drives you, that you want to encounter God's glory more than you ever have? Amen. I, wa- I want to remind you of that desire, because we can, there's a lot of facets and a lot of layers, a lot of aspects of our Christian life that we have to learn from and steward and grow in, and so it takes attention, but it, it, we, we, we just want to be careful to not allow ourselves to get um, too far removed from this one thing, because honestly, this should be, this should be central. With the cross, burial, and resurrection, the glory of God should be the central things to our lives, amen? <clears throat> I believe that God has huge plans of revealing and manifesting his glory amongst his saints. It was around probably 2011 or so, I was in a season where God was giving me some <clears throat> profound revelations. That When I say profound, I'm not saying like heady profound, but like changing my life inside out profound. Does that make sense? Revelations in that season where he was revealing to me a lot of things I've been preaching to you guys in, in this recent season of identity, but, but, and especially when it comes to the concept of union with Christ, okay? Like, there, there's so much more depth to the reality and revelation of, of us becoming grafted into Christ and made one with him. There's so much more to that, and the more that we can... Um, discover the realities of it, come into a, a knowing, and I don't mean 
cognitive knowledge, but heart and spirit knowledge, okay, of union with Jesus Christ. The more we come into, into that reality, that, that belief, the engagement of that, the more we're going to see that power of that manifest in our lives to where you start actually experiencing a Christ life. Does that make sense? So in that season, the Lord started taking that revelation to a deeper level, and I started seeing that, uh, that Jesus Christ, um, he, he's been glorified. Like, he, he became glorified since, you know, before I've ever met him, right? Like, we often think of Jesus as the three years of his ministry, but that's not actually where he is right now. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in the fullness of his glory. Amen? And so that's the Jesus that he brings us into encounter with. Not the man walking around in a, in a robe and a sash. Okay? So as I was in this season of, of the Lord revealing to me my union with him, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. I've been, I've been crucified with Christ. I've become in union with Jesus through the dying on the cross and my old sinful nature. The old man has died with him and become buried with him. It says in Romans 6 that we died with him. In the, in the likeness of his death, we also have died with Christ. Okay, I've been preaching on this. And so... Um, but, but through that is the, is the same likeness of Jesus in his resurrection. I have to come into the, the understanding that I've been brought and grafted into Jesus' resurrection. And so when I was born again, he actually gave birth to me, fused into the spirit of Jesus in the resurrected, glorified form. Come on. And so in that season, as the Lord started like deepening my revelation of that, like proof of revelation is the encounter comes with it, okay? Proof of true divine revelation is there's encounter, there's presence, there's deepening of spirit, there's fruit that comes forth, that transformation comes as a, as a result, all right? And, and so the Lord was doing that, and I started actually believing, whoa, I've actually been grafted into union. My spirit has become fused into Christ. Not the, not the, the man who preached to 5,000. It it's the same person. I'm not saying that. I'm saying not in that state. But in his resurrected, glorified state, I've been fused with him. And so... I, I started believing that to the degree that I was allowing myself to encounter that. And he started showing himself to me in that. And I, and I started feeling and experiencing the, the manifested glory of God coming upon me in ways that maybe I've had doses of before, but now I start realizing I don't have to just wait for something to happen to me, you know, every few years, like one of those profound God-ordained encounters. I can actually believe that that encounter is actually part of who I am. And if I can believe that that is part of who I am, I don't just have access to it. It actually is forever present with me. And the more I can lay hold of my faith on that reality that he has already created for me, I can engage with him at that level because he's already given it to me. Come on. Don't worry, I'm going to unpack it and we'll get us there today, okay? Now, I remember this one time, I, I, often in that season when I was going to bed, I would be, I'd be meditating on him and these realities, and I start feeling the manifestation of his glory coming upon me. And one time in that season, I was on a ministry trip with Steve Backland to Ohio, and uh, I was staying in a host home, and I was, I was in a nice bed in a basement, nice room, and, and I was going to bed that night, and I started feeling God's presence coming upon me, 
I started meditating on him, and I, and I started feeling glory thickening up all around me, and it was as if I could, I don't think as if, I think it actually was, but like this angelic presence is coming around me, and I could feel it, like physically feel it around the room, and, and it was so electric and so glorious, so full of tangible love and tingly movement, all right? I started feeling his presence in a unique way that I never had before, where um, this is going to sound weird, but sometimes God manifests in unusual ways to reveal new things, right? This night, when I was feeling that, it was weird. I, I felt like I was, I was walking through in, like flowy fabric. It's weird. Flowy fabric draping through the through the area, but this is in the spirit, right? But I, I could feel it like brushing my face, and it was like I was getting lost in his presence, but I, I could feel a fabric bu- like brushing by me. And, and I was like, that is weird, but I felt God on it, so it's good, even though I don't understand it. Not, every, not everything that's God has to be understood, understandable, right? But as I was feeling this, and I felt his, that that weird flowy fabric, it almost felt like wedding gown kind of fabric, except anointed, right? <laughs> like it was God's it was presence. But after that, the Lord reminded me of this passage I want to read to you guys, and then it made sense at a whole other level. Isaiah 6, 1 through 4, profound, says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. The train of his robe. It's not like he has a robe with a train tracker on the bottom. (laughs) It it means the hem of his garment, right? The hem of his garment. It it says that the train of his robe filled the temple. God's so big, he can't fit in a man-made temple. But he, but he was gracious enough to, to fill it with his glory, and he, in, the, in the bottom part of his robe, came and filled the whole temple. And the Lord told me that what that I was feeling fabric, that was the train of his robe. <laughs> Man, that did more than goosebumps. <laughs> Seraphim stood above him. Each having six wings, with two he covered his faith and with face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This wasn't just a positive decree. <laughs> of something we hope to happen. They're declaring what's real. The Isaiah had no clue was real. But he's encountering it, and he's seeing it, and he's hearing it, and he's feeling it. And they're declaring God is holy, and His glory is so big that it fills the whole earth. His glory, His kabod, Shekinah, weighty, electrifying, glorious presence filling the whole earth. Come on. (laughs) And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Whoa, that's crazy. What a powerful encounter. How many of you guys want to have those kind of powerful encounters? Seeing God on His throne and the glory filling the place. Come on. That's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) Follow me as we find our way in. Amen? If you guys can turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. 
We're going to hammer through some Bible today, guys. Let this, be, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, did, who, sorry, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with him. I want to describe what that just said right there because that always sounded really weird to me, talking about robbery and stuff, right? That word robbery, it's a Greek word that could have been translated in a few different ways, and they happen to translate it with the word robbery, but it actually means to be grasped or held onto. Some of your translations will say it that way, all right? It says that he didn't think that it was something to be grasped or held onto, to be to be equal with God. To be equal with God. Verse, that's verse 6. All right? So basically what that's saying is Jesus was in the form of God, and that word form in the Hebrew, sorry, in the Greek is morphe, morphe. All right? And, and you know the word morph? Like morph means something changes nature, right? Well, morphe means nature. So this is actually saying that Jesus was in, the, was in the, the very nature of God, okay? What is the nature of God? Well, he's deity. He, he's, he's omnipresent, omni, uh, omnipotent, and omniscient. It means he's, all, he's everywhere, he knows everything, and he has all the power. Hallelujah. And, and being in the nature of God, that means that he is the fully glorified God to be worshipped by all. Amen. So this is saying that Jesus was, had the very nature of God. Basically, it's another way of saying he is God, all right? He is God in every way, all right? But it goes on, and it's basically saying that Jesus did not hesitate to let go of his godly attributes to become a man of human limitation. That's what that means, Okay? So he, he knew who he was, and he was the full form of God, but he, he, by his own accord, he chose to strip himself of every attribute of deity. Didn't mean he stopped being God. It meant he, he laid all the powers of that down and confined himself into the, the very limitation of human form. Does that make sense? All right. So verse 7 says, But he made himself of no reputation. They were talking about God, the one who has been worshipped by all. All of the millions and billions of angels and all the people of the earth and whoever worshipping him and knowing who he is, um, but they're, but they're worshipping him. And it said he chose to become a, a man of no reputation. In other words... Who is that guy? I don't even recognize him. All right? That's quite a shift, is it not? Okay. So he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form, not just of a man, but of a bondservant, choosing to become a slave. Jesus chose to become a slave and being in the likeness of men. So that, again, that word likeness is the Greek word morph, morphe, and it means nature. So he went from functioning fully as the nature of God to humbling himself, laying all that down on an altar before his Father, act of worship. I'm going to lay it down, and I'm going to take on the nature of a man now. And we know how that happened, the Christmas story. Jesus was given birth as a pooping baby right? And had to be raised and grow up and go through life and do all that stuff. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, all right, not only did he humble himself from being God to being a man of no reputation, it goes further than that. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And not just death, because God is, is somebody who can't die, right? But he chose to take humanity upon himself, meaning he's, he's got a time limit on. So he's going to die. But instead of just being okay with just dying, like most of us will of old age, no, he goes even lower. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to die as a... As a, as a sinner. I'm going to die He took because he took sin upon himself, right? I'm going to die as a criminal. The, the most humiliating death it could be. 
at the age of 33. All right? Let me continue, though, because does the story stop there? (laughs) It does not. Thank God. Verse 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above all, which is above every name. So God exalted Jesus. Obviously, it doesn't say it, but we know that, that after he died, he was resurrected, right? And then he was, he was ascended and seated back to the right hand of the Father and re-entered the very glory that he laid down before he became a baby. Okay? So God... He, he restored his exaltation. He re-exalted him highly and gave him the name which is above every name. What name is that, guys? Jesus. The only name that has the power in it that demons shudder at. Amen? At that name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come on. I want to take a minute and and just break apart what we just read, all right? Because that little passage we just read explains the three phases of Jesus, okay? Phase one was verse six, which was that he was in the throne, he was in heaven, the very nature of God, okay? Phase one, Jesus was in heaven for all eternity, God himself, very nature of God, right? Glory, Shekinah glory, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, God, right? Phase one. Phase two, lays it down on the altar, and he comes down as a baby, raises as a human, and he has an earthly ministry, and he died on the cross, the ultimate humility that we've ever seen, right? That's phase two. Phase three is he's been resurrected. He's ascended. He's reseated at the right hand of the Father, completely restored to the fullness of his glory and all the attributes of his deity all over again. Except now it's even greater because he has the cross and resurrection behind him. Come on, right? Three phases, God in heaven, Jesus in heaven, Jesus on earth, Jesus back in heaven, right? Glory, humility, glory. Nature of God, nature of man. Nature of God and man. Jesus is actually the full God, full man. There's only one person in the universe as him. All God, all man. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. I want you to think of this, the phase one part of this Philippians 2 passage that I just read, where he's in the likeness of God, is the nature of God. And I want you to remember what we just read out of Isaiah 6, when he saw God sitting on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and the glory of God was there, and the seraphim are worshiping him. You see that picture? That happened when Jesus was in phase one. Okay? Jesus in phase one, Isaiah 6, the glory of God sitting on his throne, robe filling the temple. Jesus was in the midst of that. Hallelujah. Did you ever read Isaiah 6 and think of Jesus sitting on that throne? He was there, he was in the midst of it. He and his father were one. That was Jesus and his Father sitting on the throne together in union with each other. Come on. And that's the picture of what phase one looked like. But he laid that down and he became a human and he went to the cross. And then he resurrected. And then the Father caused him to ascend and and they watched him go up in the sky, right? And he was seated at his right hand again. And guess what? He got restored fully back to... That picture, except it's even greater now. Do you guys get the, get the scope here that we're, that we're working with? All right. Jesus, when he laid all that down, he didn't lay it down so that he would never experience that again. Okay? His goal was not to lay it down and never to return to being God, the, the full deity again. He laid it down 
knowing that it was for a season and that he would be taking it all back up again. All right? So that whole time that Jesus had the, the humbled life on this earth, he had foresight of what he was going to get back to all over again. All right? So all this life on this earth, he knew what was before him. Okay? You guys doing all right? Okay. So he laid down his deity, his glory, all his attributes, but he knew it was temporal. I'm getting it back. Getting it back. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I need to to fulfill my job here, but I'm getting it back, and I'm looking forward to getting re-glorified all over again. All right? Now, phase one, Jesus in heaven, right? Fully glorified. Phase two, Jesus on earth. I want to take, I want to give us a snapshot of phase two, Jesus on earth, before phase three comes. And I want to show you a point in time when he knew that he was about to transition back into phase three. Okay? He's getting ready to transition back to phase three. And he is stoked. I guarantee you, Jesus was stoked. He knew pain and suffering was on its way, but he's not focused on the problem. He's focused on the solution, right? You guys still asleep this morning? All right. Can you turn your Bibles over to Luke 9? Luke 9. And we're going to start at verse 20. I need a little sippy while you guys are turning. I'm excited about what I'm getting ready to say to you. I hope you are. Because if you catch this at, at a spirit level, something's going to unlock. For Luke 9, starting with verse 20. All right. Jesus has just sent his 12 out in twos, and then they came back, and then he just fed the 5,000. And right after that, verse 20, Jesus was asking them, who do people say I am, right? And, and now in verse 20, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you're the Christ of God. And Jesus strictly warned them, and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised from the dead, raised on the third day. So Jesus is looking ahead. It's coming soon, right? I'm about to get crucified, but what's happening on the third day? Getting raised from the dead. So do you think Jesus is fixated on the cross, or do you think he's looking at what's coming on the other side of it? All right? The cross was important because it had to happen in order for the, the, the greater thing to happen. The cross, and then the burial, but on the other side of that, the resurrection. Amen? Verse 23, then he said to them, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. I want you guys to repeat this after me. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Everybody say it again, the follow me part. And follow me. Follow me. All right, he's saying, if you want more of me, you want to come after me, you got to go where I'm going. Because he just said, I'm getting ready to go to the cross, but I'm going to raise on the third day. All right? If you want to follow me, if you want more of me, you got to come after me and you got to follow me. What does following me include? Well, it, it includes denying yourself and taking up your cross on a daily basis. All right? Where was Jesus getting ready to go? To the cross. 
And he's saying, if you want to follow me, or if you, if you want to come after me, I need you to follow me. And, I, and where I'm going, if you're following me, you got to go where I'm going. If you want to go where I'm going, we got to leave where we're at so we can get to where we're headed. All right? You want to follow me? Well, guess where we're going next? We're going to the cross, baby. Still want to follow me? Still want to follow me? Going to the cross. What does that look like? Oh, yeah, it looks like you denying yourself and taking up your cross on a daily basis. Still want to follow me? Because he said, follow me. And, and where, where is he taking us? If he, if, he's fo- if he says, follow me, where is he taking us? Is he taking us just to a cross daily life? Or is he taking us somewhere beyond that? All right? But you can't get to the beyond if you don't get to the way that you get there. And it includes the cross and the daily self-sacrifice. All right? You guys following with me right now? (laughs) He continues, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and denies himself, or sorry, is himself destroyed or lost? Sorry, I said that wrong. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. Everybody say, in his own glory. Come on. The glory of Jesus. Do you remember that we just said that Jesus laid his glory down and he separated himself for it so he could come down and be a human being of no reputation so he could die on a cross, but it says that he's going to come back in the fullness of his glory. It doesn't say of his father's glory, of his glory. All right? What does that mean? It means that he's going to get restored to his glory. Hallelujah. So the, the, tra- the trail that Jesus is walking on, that he says, follow me. If you want to come after me, you've got to follow me. Where is it going? Well, it's getting ready to go to the cross. But then it's going to go to the resurrection. But then it's going to go to being re-glorified all over again. Jesus is in phase two right now, but he's, he's at a transition point where he knows that phase three is about to come back, where, where he's going to be completely restored back to the fullness of his glory all over again. He says, follow me. Follow me. Come on. Where are we following you to, Jesus? Oh, it's, it's going to be a hike of your life. You're going to have to let some things go, and you're going to have to die. But guess what? What's on the other side of you dying is way better than what you have to die to. And when you die to it, you've set yourself up to continue following me past the cross into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Verse 27 We're not done reading passage yet. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they've seen the kingdom of God. And do you know what happened right after Jesus said that? The Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus was radiating in his glory on the mountain, all right? And there are people who teach that when Jesus said that there will be some here who, who won't die before you see the kingdom of God, they think that, that they saw that on the mountain of transfiguration, and that was the fulfillment of him saying that. <clears throat> I want to tell you, that's not true, okay? And here's why. In John 3.3, 3, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. These guys, during the Mount of Transfiguration, had not been born again yet. So they actually didn't get to see the kingdom of God as Jesus promises. They saw something, 
but they didn't see it the way Jesus was promising, okay? But the cool thing is every single one of them that encountered Jesus on the transfiguration got born again. And the good news is that Jesus is basically saying, if you, if you take what he said and look at it inside out, he's saying if you, you, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. But guess what? If you are born again, you can see the kingdom of God. If you're born again, you can see the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. That puts us right here in a better position than the three who are on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. Am I getting too deep? I'm not done. The pearl has not been emitted yet, okay? <clears throat> Get your pearl cut ready. <clears throat> All right. Starting again with verse 28. Here we go. Read along with me if you have your Bible. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. Whoa. They are with their Lord and Savior, their master, their mentor, their best friend, their spiritual father, the one who they've seen preach many times, and now they're in this secret place experience with Jesus that they've never experienced before. And while they're watching Jesus encounter his father, they're looking at his face, and it became distorted. Something shifted. It says his face was altered. That's pretty wild. His face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening. All right? This was, I believe this was at nighttime, by the way. But in Matthew, on this story, it says that Jesus' face shone as bright as the sun. So they're, they're, they're seeing Jesus radiating Shekinah glory, and his face shifted, and he's and his radiating Shekinah glory as bright as the sun. His, his clothes are glistening and glowing. And they're seeing Jesus having a glorified experience. Is that wild or what? <laughs> Would you guys like to see that? I, I want to say to you that um, Jesus was having quite an encounter. <laughs> Would you agree with that? Jesus was having quite an encounter with God. But I, I want to, I actually want to take it a little further. That Jesus wasn't just having an encounter with God. He was having an encounter with himself in the fullness of the glory that he laid down when he came as a baby. He was having an encounter with what Jesus, the glorified God, is going to look, uh, look like when he gets restored to his throne again. He's having an encounter with the deity of himself that he laid down and he didn't want to reveal that to humanity until his father would. But when he's having his own encounter in his secret place with his father, this father reveals to him who he is in the fullness of his glory. And if you read Revelation 1 when John goes to heaven and it says that it describes Jesus and it says his face shone like the sun and his clothes were radiating. So literally, in, in phase two experience of Jesus being a man on this earth, he's on this mountaintop, and he's allowing his, his top three guys to be there so they could witness Jesus being transfigured into the fullness of the glory of God that was actually his. <laughs> Take that in for a second. God was revealing to him who he is and who he's about to be restored back to very, very soon. 
All right? He's encountering what he's about to be restored to. <laughs> Hallelujah. And up until this point on Jesus' earthly ministry life, there were times when God's glory was revealed, but it actually was referencing the Father's glory being revealed because Jesus laid his down. So anytime he did something and the glory showed up, it was actually his Father's glory. Right now, Jesus is actually having an experience with the Father allowing him to experience his own glory. I hope you guys are taking this in. <laughs> in John 3.13, uh, this is a segue, but it's according to this. It says, no one, Jesus said this, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven... That is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. What? Jesus in phase two, right? Earthly man. And he's, and he's talking about this. You've got to listen to the tenses, okay? He says, no one has ascended to heaven except he who came down from heaven. That's talking about himself, right? He came down from heaven. That is, the Son of Man. Does it, did he say who used to be in heaven? He said who... Will be come in heaven again? No. He said, who is in heaven? Jesus on earth, claiming that he's having ascension experiences. Jesus on earth, claiming that he's having ascension experiences. And not only is he having ascension experiences, he's claiming, I'm in heaven right now. What? I'm sitting here on this mountain on earth looking at you on earth. And you're saying that you're in heaven? Yes, he is. Because Jesus had this crazy profound intimacy with his father where he could encounter God in heaven, where he could be seated in heavenly places even as a human on this earth. You guys might need to take notes and digest this for a few weeks. It's taken me a long time. I, I didn't get it in one sermon, I'll tell you that. Let me keep reading because it, it's not over. All right, so they're seeing him transfigured, manifesting his glory that he laid down, but the Father's allowing him to have a connection with his true identity that he's going to be fully restored to soon. Is that awesome? Verse 30, it doesn't end. And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah. Whoa, those guys, they were like thousands of years ago, right? Thousands of years ago. But they're here on this mountain in living form, talking to Jesus. That's pretty wild. All right? And verse 31, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. Everybody say, appeared in glory. Whoa. They appeared in glory. That's crazy. Glory manifested. And out of nowhere, two men who actually are in heaven appeared on a mountain. How does that happen? I want to tell you something about glory. Glory. When glory manifests, and it can come in different measures, that it can reach a measure where glory manifestation actually becomes portal between heaven and earth. This is a profound encounter. Glory came so strong that it became a, a doorway. They, they, I believe they stepped right from heaven onto that mountain because glory manifested. Whoa. This is a kind of a weighty message here. All right, so they appeared in glory, verse 31. Now check this out. And they spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Everybody say, spoke of his decease. <clears throat> We're going to come back to that in a minute. But Peter and those with him 
were heavy with sleep, and when they were full awake, they saw his glory. Everybody say that. They saw his glory. They didn't see the Father's glory. They saw Jesus' glory. So that literal transfiguration was Jesus being manifested in his glory. Whoa. That, that proves it. It's his glory. And they saw the two men standing with him, right? So at this point, we had Jesus. We have Peter, James, and John. Four people hanging out. And then the father, that's five. And then Moses and Elijah. There's seven people on the mountain right now. They just thought there's going to be four. All right? But they see Moses and Elijah there. And then Peter's like, hey, should I make tents for you guys? I'm sure there's things to unpack on that we don't have time for. While he's saying this, a cloud came. Everybody say, a cloud came. Glory cloud. And overshadowed them. More glory. This is a glory of glory encounters. All right? And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. This is my beloved son. They hear the voice of the Father coming through the cloud. The glory is a merging of heaven and earth manifest. Come on. Crazy stuff, right? I I need to unpack a little more. Hope you guys can spare me a few few minutes past because I don't know if I can do this in six, but maybe ten. We'll see. Okay. Moses and Elijah came in glory. How many of you guys want glory encounters? I want to ask you at the depth of your spirit man right now and answer from that place. How many of you guys want glory encounters? Come on. This was a glory encounter. And Moses and Elijah showed up in glory. Amen? And it says that they spoke of his decease, which was about to be accomplished at Jerusalem. Spoke of his decease. All right? And, they, and, and probably they were there, they probably were talking to him about what's about to happen on the cross, okay? But I want to I, I give us a view of this that takes it bigger and better than that. Because I don't believe that this encounter was, was God's provision to give Jesus encouragement to face pain he's about to do. He did that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sent an angel to minister to Jesus. That, that was soon coming. But this night, it's different. They're coming to speak to him of his decease. And that word decease does not just mean death. It's the Greek word. Does anybody know what the Greek word is without looking it up? I'm going to tell you. Exodus. They came to talk to him of his exodus, which he's about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Exodus. So while it does include him going to the cross and dying, it's a meaning that's way bigger than that. He's, they're, they're talking to him about his exodus. Is it not strange if you think about it that it was Moses that God sent to talk to Jesus about his soon coming exodus. <clears throat> of all the people of the Old Testament who were in heaven, why did God choose Moses and Elijah to talk to Jesus about what was about to happen? Because Jesus is coming to the closing of phase two, ready to transition towards phase three, restore back to heaven. And and Moses and Elijah come to speak to him of his exodus. Are they there just to try to prepare him to die on a cross? Or is it bigger than that? Because if you think about what Moses has to contribute to an exodus conversation, it's way bigger than just dying. God raised Moses up to become a deliverer 
of a million people that God loved who are in bondage to slavery and demonic principalities. And that God could have sent Moses on his own into the promised land. Okay, that's great. One guy got the awesome promise. But it wasn't just for Moses to get there. God raised him up so that he could crush demonic strongholds and take a whole slew of people, multitudes, breaking bondage and chains off their lives and deliver them out of bondage into the promised land. God raised up a Savior for the people that wasn't for the sake of the Savior. It was a forsake of all the people who needed set free from captivity. And so God used Moses not just to take them out of something, but to deliver them to something. And Exodus is not just about leaving an environment to get out of it. it, it an, ex, an Exodus is a departure unto an arrival. You're going to depart so you can arrive somewhere. When you book a flight, you have two things you got to figure out. Where are you departing from and where are you arriving to? An exodus is not just to get you out of your current state, but it's to take you into the promised land. Amen? And then why would he choose Elijah? Because he's the only person that we have a record of up to this time where he's going to ascend off this earth into the heavens. God used Elijah to crush strongholds in the region, and then he ascended him into heaven, a living being in heaven. Why would Elijah have come to talk to Jesus about what's about to happen? <laughs> you guys getting this? <clears throat> This was the, the whole thing that was going on with Jesus on this Mount of Transfiguration was beyond just God giving him a, mo a great moment before he's about to suffer on the cross. God is actually giving Jesus an encounter to show him and those around him who he really is. <clears throat> the, all that he laid down as a sacrifice on this earth that he's about to restore him back to, back to the fullness of his glory that makes him look way beyond the man that they've been following up to this point. <laughs> so pre, if you back up the last teaching that Jesus did before the Mount of Transfiguration, he, said, he tells his disciples, the Son of Man, he's talking about me, I'm about to get crucified, but don't worry, on the third day I'm about to rise again. And then he goes from there and he says, if you want to follow me, you need to lay your life down, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Is he asking us to follow him just to the cross? No. But so many Christians stop in that place, and that's all the farther they get in the, in the Christian experience that God has provided for us. He didn't say, follow me this far. He said, follow me. He wasn't stopping at the cross. He was going, he didn't just go to the cross. He's going through the cross. So that he could get to the resurrection. And so he could get to the ascension. And so he could get restored back to the right hand of his father. Completely restored to the fullness of his glory. And he says, follow me. Follow me. And, and, and we understand now better than we used to that when Jesus says, follow me, and he talks about the cross, that I, I quoted this earlier, I've been crucified with Jesus Christ. So I've already, I've already made it to the cross. I have to continue making it to the cross. I have to continue finding parts of my life that maybe haven't had the cross encounter yet. But, but, but I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but, but who who lives in me? That's that person who's been resurrected and glorified and sits at the right hand of the Father that lives in me. That person that we read about in Isaiah 6 who, who, 
he sits on the throne and his glory is so massive and he's so huge that that huge temple got filled just from the hem of his garment down there. Jesus, phase three, <clears throat> elevated into heavens, fully restored. All, every single name has to be subject to his name. He's glorified, worshipped, and adored, and the angels declare over him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they declare the earth is filled with the glory of God. Whoa. The earth is filled with the glory of God. Hallelujah. So Jesus' destination wasn't to the cross, it was through the cross so that He could get through the doorway into the resurrection life of glory. Follow me, guys. Go where I'm going. We're not in union with the Jesus that was walking the earth in that phase. He's actually right now sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's Jesus who I am in union with. You guys better get more excited. Hebrews 12.2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. His joy was not in the cross. All right? That was suffering. But the joy that was on the other side of the cross made Him be able to endure it. Okay? Despising the shame, He sat down. Where? At the right hand of the throne of God. And that's where He sits right now. So I want to tell you that when I think about that big picture and then I think about Luke 9.23 where he said, if you want to come after me, you got to deny yourself. you got to take up your cross and follow me. I have to think about where Jesus made it to because when he said follow me, he wants us to go all the way. He wants us to go all the way. Don't stop at the, at the cross. Enter into the resurrection and the glorification of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It excites me. 2 Corinthians 5.17 We've been made new creations. All old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I, everything that was previous to the cross in my life has been passed away. I made it through the cross into His resurrection. He made all things new. I've become born again through the Spirit of His death, burial, and then resurrection. My, my born again experience is literally synonymous with being resurrected with Jesus Christ. So I live the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is not just Jesus as a limited human being. It's Jesus as fully restored to His glory and all the godly attributes. And I come into union with Him and I get to experience the fullness of Jesus, the One who sits in heaven right now. Come on. And if He's omniscient, that says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians that we have the mind of Christ. What? He's not joking about that, we're, that we've been made one with Him. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is good. <laughs> this is good. Oh, man, there's more I want to say. I, I, I can't keep going because there's too much right now. Maybe next week. But I, I, I just want to tell you that the, the, when Jesus was transformed, when he was transfigured on that mountain, the Greek word for transfigured is metamorpho. And that's where we get the word metamorphosis from. That's where a, a, a caterpillar goes in a cocoon and becomes completely transfigured. Its nature becomes changed and out comes a butterfly. It's the same word. 
And that's the same exact word that in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it talks about us presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? Oh, it means deny yourself and die daily. But it goes on, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be, that you may be able to prove the good and acceptable will of the Lord. What is that word transformed in the Greek? Metamorpho. The same word as Jesus being transfigured on the mountain, completely altered, manifesting his glory. And the Lord is trying to bring us into this journey of, of, our, of us discovering our nature, our new nature in Christ that's in union with Jesus in that, re, in that resurrection glory. It's in you. It's in you. It's in you. When I say it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, I need to understand that it means it's no longer I who live, but it's Jesus resurrected. It's Jesus enthroned. It's Jesus glorified. It's Jesus in full deity form who lives in me. Come on. That's it's powerful. <laughs> I, I just want I just want to close, I guess, with trying to just release this on you. I know I threw some heavy nuggets at you. I want you guys, I, I really hope that you guys will see the kingdom inside it and give God time to germinate it in you, which means that you have to mull it over. You have to meditate on it. You have to take it to the Lord. You might need to listen to this again so you can catch pieces that might not have been easy to grasp all of it at once. It took me months and years to get that. I'm, I'm giving it to you, but you get to an opportunity to do something with it and, and steward it. But I want to tell you that if you do, and you actually truly come into what God has put in it, you're going to have encounters beyond what you've ever known. God has given you everything you need already to have glory, kabod encounters with Him. If that doesn't excite you, I need to disciple you deeply. <laughs> and that actually wasn't a joke. <laughs> disciple. <laughs> I, I, I want to just speak this to you guys right now. If you've been born again, why don't you guys stand up with me? If you've been born again of the Spirit, your spirit has this in you. Jesus said, follow me. He wasn't just talking about just stopping at denying yourself and taking up your cross. He says, follow me. And he's talking about going through the cross into resurrection, into glory. I declare to you right now, in the name of Jesus, that Jesus is phase three reality out of Philippians 2. Being seated in heaven, highly exalted, name lifted above every name, every knee will bow. Jesus being restored to the Isaiah 6 picture, sitting on the throne of God, his, his glory fills the earth. You might think that it's not yet because you're not seeing it yet. You don't see everything that God's doing. But He wants to show you. I declare to you that if you've been born again of the Spirit, you can see the kingdom. And the Lord wants to reveal His glory to you. And He wants to also reveal to you that, that you actually are in, in union with Jesus 
in his present state reality. Glorified. Whoa. Glorified. And anything in your life that would, that would distract you or hinder you or, or be a barrier to experiencing that, those are the things you die to. Those are the things you deny of yourself. Those are the things that you take your cross up. It's not just because God wants to make you have a suffering, holy life. It's to let go of anything that could, that could deter your attention from the fullness of Christ within you. He's glorified. I want you to declare this with me. Jesus lives in me. It's, it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. He's resurrected. So his, his resurrection lives in me. His resurrection is living inside my mortal body right now. He's glorified. His glory lives in me. He radiates. And he radiates in me. His face glows like the sun. And he lives in me. He has all the power of universe. He lives in me. He has all the knowledge. And he lives in me. And I have the mind of Christ. <laughs> he has eternal life. And he lives in me. I have eternal life living in me. The river of the living God lives in me. Everything that Jesus is in heaven lives in me. I live on this earth and I bring that to the earth and I get to release that into the earth but I get to experience it first and I'm going to soak it up Saturate me. Change me. Manifest in me. Metamorpho me. Come on. Let's give God a shout. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, man. That's some good stuff. I, I just declare, and I just say this by the Spirit of God, that everything I just said, I just declare for it to become manifested in lives in the name of Jesus, that this becomes new realities to us, and that it's going to grow, even if it's just a seed right now, it's going to grow. And in Jesus' name, Lord, I ask you to open up the dimensions of heaven in people's lives. Manifest heaven on earth in us right now, Lord, and in our life. In this season, Lord, transform us, transfigure us in your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Hallelujah.